0: Landlord Law Podcast with solicitor Tessa Shepperson. Hello and welcome. I'm Tessa Shepperson and this is the first episode of the Resurrected Landlord Law Podcast. This episode is a companion to the Landlord Law Weekly Bulletin going out on Tuesday the 7th of November 2023. So let's start. The first thing to discuss is News. For the news section, I'm going to be looking at the news items in the Landlord Law news round on the Landlord Law blog, which is published every Friday, and I'll look at a couple of other things as well. So, the most recent news round is number 315, and the first item on that is an item about council tax and the practice of some councils for assessing the council tax on the basis of individual rooms rather than rather than for the property as a whole. Now the government did a consultation about this recently and it has now published its response and the response is that it is no longer going to permit assessing council tax on the basis of individual rooms and that it will have to be aggregated so that so that council tax for HMOs is assessed on the property as a whole and valued as a single property. There is a publication which I've linked to in the post and there is going to be an amendment to legislation to ensure that this happens. So we will have to wait and see when the legislation is brought forward. But this will probably mean that uh, council valuations will now value properties for council tax purposes on this basis and will discontinue valuing HMO properties with the individual rooms. So that's probably a good result and it's something that the NRLA I think has been campaigning for. The next item is on property guardians and is a report about a court of appeal decision which upheld the earlier decision that where property owners use property guardians then if the circumstances are such that it is an HMO, they must obtain an HMO licence. And the the fact that they are occupied by property guardians doesn't change that. Now, this is uh, part of a series of cases that have been brought over the years where property guardians are basically thinking that they're above the law and they can do things differently, and the court's telling them that, no, they're not, and they have to behave in the same way as other landlords. We've got an item about new electrical checks guidance published for landlords, and I have put a link to this on Landlord Law in the Property Condition Topics page, so you can find it there. Then the final item in Newsround is about the Renters Reform Coalition, who've been tweeting a number of things which will antagonise landlords such as that all grounds for possession should be discretionary and that tenants should be allowed to have as many pets as they want. Now, obviously, landlords aren't going to agree to that. And Ben Beadle's written a letter, which you can read from a link on the news round, where he calls out some of these things and suggests that instead of being antagonistic, maybe all organisations ought to work together, to lobby the government to deal with the freeze on local housing allowances, which would benefit both landlords and tenants. I have to say with the pets thing, it's a lot less simple than people make out. And it's a question of working out whose interests take priority and under what circumstances. The final thing I want to talk about is the question of court delays, which isn't one of the main items on the news round, but I have added it to the end of the snippets. There's a um, An item about it on Landlord Today, and it seems that court claims for repossessions are getting worse rather than better. And, of course, the significance of this is that the government has said that they are not going to implement the abolition of Section 21 until the court procedures are in a better state. The article says that an all-party justice select committee has ordered a new inquiry into the workings of the county court, so we will have to see what it says I have to say I can't help thinking about the massive sell-off of courthouses a few years ago. I have given you a link in the recent post section to a post that was written actually by Ben Reeve-Lewis quite a few years ago, which was on how the sale of our court buildings created massive profits for property developers while causing chaos for court services. So I leave that thought with you. Not a huge amount we can do about it now because the court buildings have been sold. If you want to read more about any of the items, have a look at the news round on the Landlord Law blog, which has, within the various reports, links to where these things are discussed in more detail on the various landlord news sites. So, let's now turn to recent posts and posts from our archive. The recent post section is where I give you links to some of our recent posts, either on the Landlord Law blog or on Landlord Law, and also some posts from the near or distant past. So this week I've given you a link to the roundup, which actually shows you all the posts that we have in October, if you want to have a look and see what we did. And then there's the post that I mentioned in the news section, which was written by Ben Reeve-Lewis, which was about the shocking scandal of courthouses being sold off to property developers. And I should probably say that Ben's article was based on an article written by retired judge Nick Madge, which was published in the Legal Action magazine in September 2019. The final item in the recent post is an urban myth, which is that it can't be an HMO if all the tenants sign the same tenancy agreement. I don't know how many landlords still think this, but I suspect that there are a few. And we're also including links to the Landlord Law blog audios, which is where I read out one of our posts, often a post from the distant past to sort of bring it back. But the post that we're linking to today is quite a recent one, which is about the problem of e-bike batteries and how they can cause really serious fires. In fact, after writing that, I did quite a bit of revision of my uh, resources on landlord law and amended the tenancy agreement and and did various other stuff, which, again, I think I've written about in uh, one of our landlord law blog posts. Next item, featured content. The Landlord Law Featured Content of the Week is where we open up a part of Landlord Law. So if you're not a member, you can go in and have a look at some of our normally password-protected content. The item that we've opened up this week is a frequently asked question on how do I work out how many households are in my property? I thought that might be a useful one to include as we have had some discussion about HMOs in this podcast. So we've got a bit of guidance on how you work out whether people are relatives who count towards creating a single household and who would be included. So that should be quite a useful one for you if you have or are thinking of having an HMO. So if you want to read it, just click through the link in the main bulletin and you'll find it. It will be available only for a period of seven days, however, so after that time, the password will be reapplied and you will only be able to access it if you are a Landlord Law member. If you're interested in membership, by the way, you will find links to where you can find out more about Landlord Law and where you can sign up and join as a member in the bulletin. Although if you go landlordlaw.co.uk, that should take you there. Of course, one of the advantages of being a member of Landlord Law is that you're able to ask me quick questions in the forum. And the next section of this podcast is looking at This Week in the Forum. The Landlord Law Forum is one of the most popular features of landlord law because it's where people, members, can ask me questions. Quick questions, that is, not council's opinion type questions. So in this section, we have a look On an anonymous basis, at some of the questions we've been asked, and I just discussed them briefly. So, the first one I wanted to mention is that someone has asked if we have any advice about letting a flat to an 18 year old single mother on universal credit who would have her father as a guarantor. Now, I would have said this would be a complete no no if she didn't have the father as a guarantor, but even with the father as a guarantor, there could be problems. But the member wants to help the family, so she just wants some feedback, basically. So if you are a Landlord Law member and you've got some experience in this sort of thing, do go and and put a post up there and let her have any advice that you can have, because that's one of the nice things about the Landlord Law Forum. It's not just me, it can be other landlords. My advice was basically linking to a post on the Landlord Law blog which was about Kate's story. So if you do a search for Kate on the Landlord Law blog, you should find it, which is about a possession claim I bought, it's about 11 years ago now, where I acted for a landlord who had taken pity on a young mother on benefit and the problems that she had with them. I also suggested that she might want to consider suggesting the tenant open a jam jar account in a local credit union. And this is a special account where the benefit money is paid in and the landlord's rent element is ring fenced and paid out to the landlord so the tenant can't spend it. There used to be quite a lot of these jam jar accounts around. I don't know whether credit unions still do them. Nobody seems to talk about them anymore, but I think they are quite a good idea. The next forum post I want to mention is one about changing the day that tenants pay rent. Now this can often be very useful if you've got a tenant who's struggling to pay the rent. It's often useful to change the day that they pay the rent, the day after they get paid their salary or they get their benefit, because then it's less easy for them to spend the money on something else. Now some landlords make this over complicated and start perhaps thinking about giving new tenancy agreements and and so on. But really, all you need to do is just give the tenant a letter saying that normally their rent is payable on this day, but you have agreed with them that you will accept rent payable on that day and that provided they pay the rent properly, you won't penalise them if if they pay the rent on the later day. And what I was saying in this post is that we do have a draft letter on landlord law, which members can use if they want to change the date that rent is payable to help the tenant. Those are all of the forum posts that I've got links to in the bulletin. But I just want to mention another question that was posted to the forum on one of our private forums, so I can't give a link to it. But it was about where a landlord is selling a property to another landlord. And they were asking about whether the landlord could put up the rent, and my answer was that there isn't that you don't get any special rights just because you're a landlord by purchase. In fact, actually, quite the reverse. And so, if you're buying a property with a tenant in situ, what you can do, such as raise the rent or evict the tenant or whatever, you can only do what the previous landlord could do. It's like. Um, What they say is it's like you stand in the shoes of the previous landlord and you don't get any extra special rights just because you're buying the property. So that takes us on to the next section of the podcast, which is the video of the week. Every week in the bulletin, we give a link to a video which has got some connection to landlord and tenant. And this week we've got a link to a fascinating video, or actually it's a collection of videos, little short videos, which can be found on the ITN Business Hub. It's actually in 15 parts and it's got sections looking at basically what is being done by local authorities in social housing. So we've got um, modular houses being built in Huddersfield, We've got social housing in Hartlepool and what they're doing about housing problems in Cornwall. I have to say I haven't watched all the clips but they're probably on the same theme and I'm going to go back when I finish recording this podcast and watch the rest of them because I, I thought it was fascinating and I hope you do too. Immediately following the video we have a tip of the week. And this week, my tip is based on an article that I read, quite a distressing article, and I think quite a few people who have read it will find it distressing, where a tenant who had mental health problems lived below a flat where there was a lot of noise. And he complained to his landlord, who was a social landlord, and the landlord did nothing about it and just said, well, he's whinging and, you know, if he lives in London, he ought to expect to have noise. Well, the poor devil did find it very difficult. And unfortunately, in the end, he did commit suicide. And there's been a bit of a scandal about it. And there are articles in the press. And I think probably my tip for this week is if your tenant complains to you about something, take it seriously. Don't just assume that they're whinging and they're being difficult. They may really genuinely be in distress. And you won't want to feel responsible for someone committing suicide. So, although I know that some tenants are a bit difficult, give them the benefit of the doubt and do what you can. I know a lot of you listening to this will do that and and wouldn't behave like this particular social landlord. But that's my tip of the week. We've now got a short section on training. thing to say about training is that we have a training workshop on the 23rd of November which is my workshop where I'm going to be talking about essential law for landlords and if you're a new landlord or you've recently taken over managing a property or if you've just started working for a letting agency or you want a refresher in the law it should be really useful so we're taking bookings for that Readers of Bulletin can get a discount with a coupon code, which you'll find in the Bulletin. And there's also a link to where you can book your place. And there's also a little video there where I explain the course in more detail. So I, I won't talk too much about it here because that's the best place for you to find out. Then if you're a Landlord Law member, we have regular training webinars once a month. And the next one is going to be on the 13th of November at 10.30am where I'll be talking about rent arrears and it's the one in a series that I've been doing. If you're a Landlord Law member you should have been sent a mailing about it or if not you can sign up using the widget on the Members Dashboard. If you want training on anything else we do have quite a lot of training on Landlord Law. You can find out all the training courses that you can purchase by going to the Landlord Law shop. And if you're a member, if you go to the training page, which is linked from the bulletin, or you'll find it on one of the drop-down menus on the header of Landlord Law, you'll be able to see all the training courses that you get access to as a Landlord Law member. And there, there are quite a lot of them, including all the recordings of our monthly training webinars, which go back to about 2018, I think. And then if you or anybody you know takes in lodgers just to let you know that I do have a special free website for Lodger Landlords, which you will find at www.lodgerlandlord.co.uk. And finally, that's the end of the first Landlord Law podcast, or the first of the new Landlord Law podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll sign up to get the other ones, and there should be one coming out next week. I suspect this podcast being the first one will improve with time. I hope so. So it remains for me to say, see you next week. And thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. That was the Landlord Law Podcast with solicitor Tessa Shepperson. Sign up for the Landlord Law Weekly Bulletin at landlordlaw.co.uk slash bulletin.